Welcome to Flashback, a podcast by the Okaloosa County Public Information Office. Get ready to dust the nostalgia off your sleeve as we talk with Okaloosa citizens who share with us how things used to be. I'm your host, Nick Tomacek. It's time to step into your imaginary DeLorean, tap your flux capacitor, and flashback. Hello, Flashbackers. For today's episode, I want you to grab your cowboy hat and boots because today we're talking mullet. No, not the party in the back business and the front haircut. I'm talking about the fish, and as Miriam Webster defines it, any of a family day of chiefly marine bony fishes with an elongate, rather stout body. Or, in Okaloosan words, the fish caught with a cast net that strangely flies out of the water on occasion and is cooked in boiling oil and served with hush puppies and an ice-cold, frothy adult beverage. Many folks here in Okaloosa County are fans of the fish, and probably the biggest fans, of course, living in Niceville. They've been fans for so long that in the late 1970s, community leaders got together to create a festival in honor of the mullet. You might know it as the Boggy Bayou Mullet Festival. It began in 1976 and continued until 2019, when then it became known as Boggy Fest. The outdoor festival headlined some big names over the decades like Charlie Daniels Band, Florida Georgia Line, Blake Shelton, Tanya Tucker, Dixie Chicks, Vince Gill. The list goes on and on. Check it out on Wikipedia to see all the acts that have played over the years. I've been to the mullet festival and eaten mullet, browsed the t-shirt booths, but I'm no expert in mullet festival history. When I started asking around about who would be the best to talk to with about the festival, the same name came up over and over. Lanny Corbin. Lanny is the city manager for Niceville and has been the city manager since 1972. He's the longest serving city manager in Florida, according to the Florida League of City Records, and he was around when the idea for the Mullet Festival came up for the first time. I had the privilege of sitting down with him, as well as Sheila Bishop, who was also around from the early days of the festival, as well as William Prince, who was also heavily involved in festival planning and operations. We met recently at the Niceville Library where Sheila and William work, and it just so happens to be a skip away from Lanny's office with the city of Niceville. Uh, Francis Spence called me one day, he said, want to go to lunch? I said, yeah. So went to lunch, and that's when he started talking about, I think we need to uh, have a festival to honor, I think the way he said it, honor the lowly mullet. Let me stop for a second. Lanny Corbin is talking about Walter Francis Spence, Jr. He was an important person in the history of this county and the city and deserves a brief bio. Francis, as Walt refers to him, came from a long line of Spence family members who worked and lived in Northwest Florida since the 1850s. Francis was a graduate of Niceville High School. He served in World War II in the Navy and earned a civil engineering degree and went to work at Eglin Air Force Base. His work was highly regarded by Eglin commanders and he went on to serve as a consultant after he left to start his own business, which was most notably Spence Brothers Properties, Inc., which is a family-owned commercial real estate holding company. He was a president until his passing. Under his leadership, nearly a quarter million square feet of retail and office space was developed, with most still owned by the extended family. Francis was also a driving force in getting the Mid-Bay Bridge built and the establishment of the Mid-Bay Bridge Authority. He was a lover of nature and is highly regarded in both the Niceville and the county overall. 
He was also president of the Niceville Valparaiso Chamber of Commerce when he approached Lanny about the idea of the mullet festival. So let's get back to Lanny. My grandfather was a fisherman. In fact, he was a mullet fisherman, uh, along with a lot of my relatives on my mother's side of the family. Because they grew up in Niceville, Boggy. My grandfather was born out on the Eglin Reservation. So Francis came to me, we had lunch together, and uh, he said, uh, why don't we get together and plan a uh, mullet festival. And back then, the uh, you had the sawmill site, but they still had all the sawmill equipment and all that stuff up there, even though the site, I think, had been abandoned by that point. Uh, so we chose uh, White Point, and that we had to get with Eglin because White Point is part of Eglin. And it was a one-day event. It, uh, I remember we were out there, and they had people. We, we'd gotten about 30 booths, and we put a, our stage was a, uh, a trailer, you know, one of these big, long trailers that you see pulled behind a, you know, a cab, a flatbed type. And uh, well, that was the, uh, the first festival. And 11 o'clock that morning, uh, we looked at each other and we said, what have we gotten ourselves into? Because there wasn't hardly anybody there. And, uh, and by 12 o'clock, the road to White Point, only a two-lane road goes into White Point from John, from back then it was Highway 20. Uh, there were, that road was packed with people and it even went out from there all the way to Highway 20. People tried to get into the first mullet dust. And, so, and we knew then that we had that we maybe had touched on something that that could be successful. I guess the uh, the the name Mullet Festival had a lot to do with it, you know. But so if you think about it, that's uh, sort of a colloquial type, you know, name. And uh, never had a festival around here before that I knew of. Maybe had some art arts and crafts get together down in Old Valpy or something, but that was about it. And we had the entertainment, we had uh, Guff Power, uh, even actually went out there, even though it was not in their territory. That, from about 12 o'clock on, it was wall-to-wall people in, in our first. My brother was a gospel singer, yeah. my sister was a gospel singer, so they performed at the first mullet festival. People were drinking beer and listening to gospel music. <laughs> The year that we had there in Norwood, where he was the main entertainment, my daughter and I both started working backstage. This is Sheila Bishop. She's the director of the library in Niceville, the Children's Park, the Senior Center, and the Community Center. She was hired by Lanny in 1976. She was born and raised in Niceville and clearly one of the fans of the lowly mullet. Her role was backstage at the festival and getting the VIPs whatever they needed, or mainly wanted. We started out with a little grill, sitting in the dirt, making sure we were cooking backstage or bringing food in from the food vendors to feed the entertainment and the guys working backstage. And that grew into a really big deal. We were, we were catering events back there. And then Mr. Spence and Mr. Corbin thought it'd be a good idea to have the VIP luncheon for the VIPs from Eglin and Oakloose County, Niceville. Um, and that became a big deal. It grew into a big event behind the stage as well as in front of the stage. Yes. I remember we were all excited for him to come to Niceville. Who's this? Rick Springfield. Mm -hmm. We were all excited. We had people waiting outside the gates Saturday morning, 6 a.m. to get in to see ladies 
with their feet propped up against the fence, and it was cold that year. Um, they were waiting to get in to see. Everybody was excited to have Rick Springfield sing Jesse's Girl in Niceville. And five minutes before he was supposed to be on stage, he suddenly told Ron Johnson, our entertainment assistant, um, that he wasn't going on unless he had a cheese pizza and a cup of hot tea. <laughs> the one thing I would never have thought to buy for backstage at the Mullet Festival right. were tea bags. Right. Um, it was a very, uh, it got my cheeks red, it was very entertaining evening because I walked from the Mullet Festival out the back gate across to the Tom Thumb across the street and bought a box of Lipton tea bags and I came back and I made him a cup of tea and served it at the door of the, one of the trailers that the actors, the actors, the entertainers stayed in and handed it to the assistant and he said thank you very much. They had already delivered the cheese pizza and after that night, after everybody was gone and the bus had pulled out, went in and there wasn't a sip of tea taken out of that cup and there was one slice of pizza half eaten out of that box of cheese pizza and I decided at that point that he was a diva and I don't care about he trashed the trailer. Plus he trashed the trailer. Oh, oh what a mess. Worse than most. Yeah. And um, I decided that night that I was no longer a Springfield fan. But you know what? The Probably. He was an exception to the rule. Most of the entertainers just as easy to work with, just Absolutely. as nice of folks that you want to be. So. And when you would get the list of what they were asking for, I can't remember the name writer. of the list, the writer list. This is what we ask you to provide while we're in town at your festival. Yeah. And the funniest one I thought was the Dixie Chicks. They wanted green Skittles, and I was a child from bags of multiple Skittles. I'd never seen just green Skittles. We found out at the time you can actually order them individual colors online. Green Skittles, orange dream sickles, and um, corn dogs was on their rider list. They weren't fancy, but they were the sweetest. We had such good entertainers, and you got to visit with them and see them like normal down-to-earth people backstage, and then you could walk out front and see them entertaining live on the stage. It was a great event, a great thing to be a part of here in town. Over the years, Lanny and the Mullet Festival Committee was able to book a lot of big names, but there was one act in 1992 that started the Mullet Festival down the path of being able to book the best in country music. Yeah, you guessed it, Billy Ray Cyrus. Here's Lanny again. Well, you know, the the one that that was impressive was the Billy Ray Cyrus thing, because he uh, he was. We went to Nashville and booked him for like fifty-five hundred dollars, and and we were the only contract that he kept. I went to Nashville. Because I'd never been there for, for for one, and I just wanted to. I was using the guy at a mobile, uh, a, an organization called the, what was the name of Ross? It sounds associated. Sound associated. And I was, and I wanted to make sure that that what they were telling us and that what they were getting us, I wanted to verify it myself. I wanted to go to Nashville and go to these different agencies and that sort of thing. So, went up there and the first agency I went to. The, the what was the lady back then that was real popular? I, w I wanted to sign her, and went to that agency, and 
sort of ticked me off. The, you know, it was almost the attitude like, where the hell is Nashville, Florida? You know, that type of attitude. So the next agency I went to was Billy Ray Cyrus's agency. I can't think of the name of it now. And that was just right down the street. And it was a house that uh, that was converted into an agency. And I didn't realize it, but that whole street I was on were all used to be houses, and most of them had converted into these different agencies for all these entertainers. And I went in there, and Billy Ray Cyrus went in there to just walked in the door, hey, Mr. Corbin, and they took me back to a little studio, and Billy Ray wasn't there, but he was there because his pictures were all over the place. And I, never, I had never heard of Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. And, and so I went in there and sat down in a little studio, and he started playing Hakey Breaky Heart. And, uh, and so when I left, I said, let me, I'll think about it. He said, Mr. Corbin, he said, I need you to make a decision because uh, we're going to be leaving town this afternoon. And I don't know when we get a chance to get back together. He might be booked by then. So I signed the contract and $5,500 for Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> and so, and I came back to tell the committee about booking Billy Ray Cyrus. And I didn't even, I forgot his name. I called him Billy Joe Cypress. Billy <laughs> Joe Cypress. Yeah. <laughs> or renaming. Yeah. I think he's still in the minute, isn't it? <laughs> and nobody had heard of him, but so that was in March. Yeah. Well, April, they started playing Aiky Breaking Heart. And by May, that was the, one of the, he was the biggest thing, you know, on, on radio. And I guess TV, because he was uh, just the ultimate entertainer. And so, I just thought that they were going to try to get out of the contract. And because by the time they got to the festival, they were between 70000 and $100,000. Uh, you know, they, and in their contract, they could have gotten out of it. But for some reason, they chose, they chose to come to Nashville, Florida. And we set him up on the beach. We had him a nice, uh, a nice condo out on the Gulf. <laughs> and uh, that night, he uh, he performed and from the stage to where your ticket booth was, you couldn't you couldn't see anything but people. And the beer booth, I don't know how much they they sold. I guess completely out of beer. Yeah. And they were just lines and lines and lines of people wow. trying to get a beer. But but he really started. I realized then that big entertainment can bring a big big group. You pay it. You pay for it up front, but. If the weather is good, that kind of thing, you can make your money back. Uh, and and at, at that, up to that point, we were booking regional acts for $5,000, $10,000, $12,000, that sort of thing. And uh, then, I, then we sort of changed our concept and started moving more in the direction of, you know, some, you know, some national talent. And it worked out, worked out good. Billy Ray Cyrus came back to perform at the festival in 2009. By the way, I reached out to the publicist for our friend Billy Ray Cyrus, and even after politely asking for an interview and mentioning that I too was from Kentucky, my request was denied. That's okay, Billy Ray, I'll catch you next time. Among those who remember Billy Ray's first performance was William Prince. He worked with Sheila and Lanny the last two decades of the festival, 
of all the big names that came to the Mullet Festival, there are almost some even more epic names that might have joined the lineup, but I'll let William tell his experience with the almost names at the Mullet Festival bookings. My first memory of Mullet Festival was the Billy Ray Cyrus year, 92. <laughs> Uh, that was an unforgettable uh, night, for sure. I just remember when we finally left, he was singing Achy Breaky Heart for like the third time that mm-hmm. night, and we were walking out into the car. Uh, most people I've ever seen in my life, I think. One spot, uh, absolutely. Wall to wall people. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I started working here at the library in 2000, and my... Luckily, no one, no one, Sheila, she's speaking to Terry Clark. I got my first ever meet and greet pass with Terry Clark. I had a crush on Terry Clark. So I, I thought she was the greatest thing in the world that night. <laughs> but being a little more involved, I got to hear some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And they had booked Lone Star for Saturday night. And suddenly, this Hank Williams Jr. thing started up. And Lone Star had agreed to perform on Friday if we could book Hank Jr. And I thought, Hank Williams Jr. and I saw, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. And he ended up, uh, he had a, a hunting trip or something planned that weekend. He's like, nah, I'm not coming. Uh, but we were that close to Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> and, uh, but some of my favorite stuff is the almost gods, like Hank Jr. And we almost had Dolly Parton one year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah. There was an opportunity one year for ZZ Top, but would have been too much money. Okay. And it, I like the story you tell of passing on Kenny Chesney. <laughs> what? <laughs> you didn't think Kenny Chesney was that good? Well, you know, when he first started out, he uh, you know, he was on his way up. And that's that was when, you know, that's, that's when we could afford it. Yeah, on his way up, and uh, you know, I, I usually have have a pretty good ear for music. It seems from talking with Lanny, Sheila, William, that Lanny had a knack for grabbing the best acts before they got too big on the musical charts. What it meant was saving money on booking the musicians, and it would mean that since they were up and coming, those artists were still widely known by the larger public, which attracted a bigger crowd to the festival. Some of the groups and acts he got included Florida Georgia Line, Dixie Chicks, Blake Shelton, and of course Billy Ray Cyrus. It could be that word got out to the country music world that Niceville's Mullet Festival, though not the Grand Ole Opry, was a great place to perform because of the hospitality and warm welcome they received. The sense I got was that there was an element of family that artists may have not experienced at any other venue. I'll let Lanny explain. Probably the most likable person we ever had was Vince Gill. I mean, he was really, wonderful. everybody yeah. liked him. Down to earth. Yeah, I, I set him up with a golf game, you know, yeah. out of, over Destin, and then, he, then the next day he played up his Rocky. He was a golfer. He loved golf, and, he, and I gave him a I gave him a putter. I gave him a brand new putter when he behind stage. Nice. Yeah. What was the gift you gave uh, Blake Shelton that year? Oh, I remember that. The knife. You gave Blake Shelton a, puck, a pocket knife? Oh, yeah. yeah. Did, was that a common practice to give the artist, the main entertainer, a gift, Lanny? Not common, but if I if I thought that uh, 
it was a big enough entertainer. I always would find out, and I found out he was uh, he was going on a hunting trip. I always had either Sheila or William would do some research, find out what they what they liked and all this stuff, mm -hmm. and would get something you know like that for him. So I bought him. He was leaving that night after the after his performance. He was leaving to go to Texas to to hunt, and we bought him a real nice hunting knife. Yep. And the next year he came, the next time that he came back, he thanked you again for that hunting knife. Yeah. But there was the year, it was Rascal Flats. I can't remember which one it was, um, but it was Rascal Flats. One of them was expecting a baby. 2000. <laughs> that was the year. I was so upset over the Rick Springfield thing that it just. Um, one of the Rascal Flats entertainers, he was um, expecting his first child. And Mr. Corbin sent us out shopping for a baby gift and presented it to him before he went on stage. And he got emotional over it. Thank you, Mr. Corbin, for that gift. So it meant something to them. And it wasn't something we had to do. Yeah. It wasn't on their rider list. So It's the hospitality of the city yeah. of Niceville. Living up, living up to our name. It, uh, <laughs> yeah. Lanny, Sheila, and Willem continued their trip down memory lane, recalling all of the artists they had met and all the nice things some of the artists would do like Charlie Daniels taking limitless amount of time to sign every autograph or photo for the fans, or Aaron Tippin having his crew on stage assembling bicycles while he performed and then once they were assembled, giving them out to children in the crowd. I couldn't help but wonder what all these memories meant to these three and probably lots of locals that regularly attended the festival. So I had to ask an obvious question. And it really was like a big reunion every year out there. You'd see people you only saw at mullet festivals. And it was nice to hear the vendors. They'd, you know, they're setting up their booths the week before and talking about, so where have you been this year? How have your sales been this year? I got you, yeah. There was that camaraderie between the vendors, too. That was nice. Do you guys miss that stress? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And it was stressful, and it was a lot of work. But I miss it every year because it was part of my, you know, from high school on. Kenny Rogers was wonderful to work with, and he brought his kid with him. Had a new kid, and that kid run all over the same place. Two of them, and twins. Twins, yeah. yeah. He brought the twins with him. Yeah. Well, so okay. What about the uh, the Mullet Festival comeback? I, I got to ask that question. Is, are we? Was, the committee has been disbanded. There could be another committee in the future, but the original, they decided it was time to retire. Okay. What was the reason? Too much competition, not yeah. enough money. Well, first, the, the festival was really the only game in town for a long time. Didn't have competition, and then they started. Uh, you know, they, they started having arts and crafts festivals, and then Navarre started a festival, and Pensacola started a festival, yeah, and they chose that damn weekend. And I don't know. It sort of, it sort of, attendance sort of, you know, coming down. And we had a certain amount of money that we had there every year. We kept a certain amount of money in the bank as to make sure that, that we could at least pay the bills. And that money had gotten down to about $122,000. I was getting real concerned because putting on a festival, you know, costs a lot of money. And then you have to hope for the gate and the booths and everything to make up the rest. And then you have to have more than you need to put money back in the bank, you know, for the next, for the next year. We had a good run. We had we had a, I mean, a wonderful run for, for a little old Nashville, Florida, for a long time. My favorite time was after Saturday was over. Sunday was a little more relaxed, 
and so, when the last entertainer was playing on Sunday evening, you could prop your feet up on the back deck because we'd gone from grilling the dirt to a big nice deck back there. But you could prop your feet up and sort of take a sigh of relief and say, nothing bad happened. It's been a good festival. Everybody's happy. You can put, yeah. start putting it to rest then. It was really relaxing under those oak trees out there. So. And, and <laughs> tell, tell, tell them what y'all did the first year without a mullet festival. Oh, Mr. C and I met up on Saturday afternoon, 2020. Yeah. In October, third Friday or third. Didn't have it because of COVID, right? Yeah. Well, no, we didn't have it because 2019. Uh, wasn't uh, that was it? What was that? Boggy Fest. Boggy Fest wasn't a real mullet festival. Yeah. Okay. So 2018 was our last one, but in 2020, Mr. Corbin and I met up there on that weekend in October, on Saturday afternoon. We sat there and he played music off of his phone. A, a lot of the entertainers. We'd invited several people, but there was an Alabama football game on. Listening to Sheila talk about sitting on the stage with Lanny and listening on the phone to all the acts that played there over the years, I have to be honest, sounded a little depressing. But it also sounded like the perfect story for the next great country song. One that'll make you cry, make you laugh, and make you remember the good times. But don't tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart, because I just don't think he'd understand. This episode was written and researched by me, produced by April Sarver, the public information officer for Okaloosa County. Music is by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Special thanks to Lanny Corbin, Sheila Bishop, William Prince, and the late Francis Spence. The Mullet Festival ended in 2018, but it's still alive in our memories. Thanks for listening. I'll see you around town.